Listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in a tourism town? How about a tourism town on the beach? How about a tourism town on the beach in Nicaragua? If so, you've come to the right place. Like most people, I used to have a steady job. I worked my butt off, chasing my tail, always looking forward to the next vacation. One day I decided that I needed to embed myself into a vacation indefinitely, and so that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town of about 15,000 on the Pacific coast. I have a small sailboat charter business that covers my bills and leaves a bit left over to fund my habits. Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this, a mid-30s Texas guy and his two trusty Labrador-looking mutts set out on adventures as they stumble through paradise, trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. And believe me, they're not exactly camouflage. These are the stories of what life is like. Some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or so minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. pulled over the other day it's been a while since i've been pulled over but the police have been out in full force i hear there's something like refugees coming through the area or something supposedly they caught a boat of people from africa or something i don't know how in the world they get over here from africa maybe they came up from south america or something but anyway cops are everywhere so i pull out on the main road the other day keep in mind my taillight is completely missing But the way they conduct traffic stops here, which I think I've probably explained before, is they just look at you as you're coming down the road towards them, and then they step out and put their hands up in the air, and they wave you over to the side of the road with their lime green fluorescent gloves. So I did as I was told, pulled over, stopped the truck. He walks up, asks for my documents. That's all they do. They walk up, you roll the window, and they go, documentos. That's it. So I hand him the documentos. He's like, where's your triangle? And the triangle is what gets him every time. So here in your vehicle, in case you have a flat, you have to have like a little reflective triangle 
Basically, it's like a collapsible cone that pops up and sits on the road. You also have to have a jack, which I don't know why, but they require for you to have a jack and a fire extinguisher. When I bought my truck, I made sure that the seller had all that stuff in there. So I got out of the truck, go around to the back door, open it up, and about that time I look up and he's walking around the truck and I think, oh man, he's going to see that stupid taillight, he's going to throw a little fit. Sure enough, he's like, oh, you have to get a ticket, uh, your taillight's missing. Those were the, his exact words. You have to have a ticket, your taillight's missing. And I showed him the triangle, and I showed him the fire extinguisher, and I showed him the jack. And I said, really? You're going to give me a ticket? He goes, you have to have a taillight. And I said, I know I'm supposed to have a taillight, but how many other cars around here don't have taillights? Which the answer to that question is a ton, probably 60%. So a car goes by and he points at it and goes, see, that one has a taillight. And I go, I, I know, I know that one does. And then like another truck went by and he goes, that one has a taillight. And I go, I know, I know it does. So... I pleaded with him a little bit. I asked if I could just pay him. He said, nope, nope, you have to go pay the bank. And, um, you know, by the way, I'm leaving here in like 10 minutes. So the protocol would have been for me to go to the bank, pay the ticket, take the receipt back to the cop, and get my license and registration back from him. So I thought to myself, like, how can I win this guy over? What can I possibly do to get out of this ticket? And so I kind of looked at him and I go, man, is there any way you can cut me some slack? I've got a business here. I try to do things right. This truck is from the U.S. It's hard to find parts for. I have a part on order, which I even have a part at the house. I have the extra tail light. I just haven't put it in yet. So I told him, I said, the part's coming. Is there any possible way that you could just let me go this time? I said, there's no way I can be back here in 10 minutes to get my license back. And I just played the pity card. And he was like, he kind of smiled at me and goes, okay. And then about that time, he goes, do you know Scott? He lives in, and then he named a subdivision called Pacific Marlin. And that's like the nicer subdivision where the higher end homes are or the, the nicest homes in the area. And I don't know who Scott is, but I go, oh, yeah, Scott. Yeah, is, is he from the U.S. or Canada? He's at Canada. And I said, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I do know him. And then he asked me, where are you from? Canada? And I said, no, I'm from the U.S., and I looked at him, I go, Texas. He goes, oh, Texas. And I go, yeah, you know where that is? He goes, yeah, by Mexico. I said, yep, that's exactly right. And he said, is that why your Spanish is so good? I said, pretty much. And all my friends are Nicaraguans. He goes, ah, you like to hang out with the Nicaraguans? And I said, yeah, man, they're all my friends. He said, I like the gringos. I said, do you? He goes, yep, I have lots of American friends. I said, that's great. So he handed me my documentos back. And he said, you think you'd give me a little bit of money for a Coke or something? And I go, sure thing. And then I handed him about 150 Cordobas, which is like five or six bucks. Went on about my way with no ticket. I was pretty impressed. I didn't think it was going to go that way, but I took a different route. Instead of trying to just pay him and then get frustrated and then leave, I just tried to be a little bit sweeter. And it seemed to work. It seemed to work. But I didn't think it would, because a lot of the men down here, the Nicaraguan guys, they kind of have a little bit more of a macho attitude than the rest of the world. They like to think that they're manly, they're tough, and nothing gets by them, and they're really, really tough. Tough's a really big part of it. 
Which leads me to my next story. I was in the gym the other day, a.k.a. the oven, and for whatever reason, the gym now plays the worst music. Sometimes it sounds like the music on the intro of a video game, where you know how you used to take your Nintendo and you'd put in a game and you wouldn't start playing it yet and it would just sit there and wait for you to press start or one or two player. And so there's like background music that just plays on loop and it's like a maybe a 30 second loop. Well, that's what the gym sounds like. It's this terrible music. And sometimes they throw in techno. And we're talking like rave party 1993 techno. It's absolutely terrible. So sometimes I'll hook up my own music. But the other day I was in there and there's a guy that I see in there that's a Nicaraguan guy. And he's one of those guys in the gym that thinks they're like five times bigger than everyone. And they're like five times stronger. And I mean, he's a bigger guy. Maybe like 200, 220. Um, not exactly ripped up. But he's not tiny by Nicaraguan standards. But he walks around that place. And I'm telling you, the guy checks his cell phone three times more then he works out. I'm not kidding. They love their phones here. This guy gets on that Wi-Fi and he burns it up. Anyway, so the terrible music was playing in the background. I'm over there at my backpack doing something. And he kind of walks over to do something near me. And we haven't had many exchanges. I did. I got onto him one time because he was doing squats. And he left like 380 on the bar. And I go, hey man, are you done with that? He's like, yeah. I said, oh, oh. Don't worry, I'll take it all off and put it up for you. And he didn't really know what to say. So that was our only exchange. So I'm at my backpack doing something, and he walks over, and I go, Man, do you like this music? As I screamed over the loud, terrible music. And he goes, You know, I don't really worry too much about the mute. And then I cut him off. I said, This music is so bad. I can't stand it. And then walked away. I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of saying, I don't really care about the music. I'm just here to work out. I know that was coming. I will shut him down. But anyway, that's what I think of. Like the machismo uh, Latin guy. It's like this, this guy at the gym. It's basically carbon copies of this guy across the entire country. Where they're not friendly. They don't want to shake your hand. They won't smile at you. They won't make eye contact. They don't like confrontation. But they walk around looking or trying to look like a Greek god. A show or two ago, I told a story about a little fat boy who lives at the little house where the chicken lady lives and also sells chicken plates. I, I know that like just confused everyone. So these little ladies, they don't like go out and buy and rent restaurants. They, they have houses that are right on the side of the road. So what they do is they'll just set up a little grill and they'll cook chicken and rice and beans on the side of the road and then just sell plates kind of out of their front door. There's no health inspection. There's no certificates. There's no licensing. It's just like a black market of street food. So anyway, so the last story was about the little boy that was learning to speak uh, next to the chicken lady. So I went back there last night. And I had some change in my pocket, and I ordered my food, and she was kind of went back inside to get everything prepared. And the little boy looks at me, kind of smiles, and I held out some change. It was like two Cordobas, little coins, and I held some change, and he just reaches for it, just like tries to grab it, and he gets mad. And I take it away before he can grab it. So then he proceeds to start punching me 
in the groin region. His dad is sitting there watching, and I think his dad's friend is sitting there watching, and the uncle is sitting there watching, and I think the aunt is sitting there watching. So I was like, doing my best to keep the boy away, but I wanted to teach him a lesson. Like, you don't just walk up to people and hit them in the crotch, and if your parents aren't going to correct you, I guarantee you I will. So I kind of grab him, hold him out by his forehead. He's swinging as hard as he can. I take my other hand, I put the change in front of his face, I kind of tease him a little bit. He reaches for that. In the meantime, he's trying to stomp on my toes. He's hollering and yelling. And I'm just laughing. And he's getting really, really frustrated. I'm not letting him take the change out of my hand. And he wants it so bad. So about that time, I reach over the top of him. And I grab his underwear. And I pull it way up. And I give him a massive wedgie. And that set him on fire. He falls straight to the ground. And he gets a death grip on my arm with his fingernails. I'm like, rip my arm out of his hand. I said, hey, let go. And then I stepped back, trying not to step on him, but I missed and accidentally stepped on his foot a little bit. And when I did, that little boy came unglued. You would have thought that he was just getting his fingers stuck in a set of gears, like a bulldozer. I mean, he let it out. And I felt so bad because I don't know what it is, but every time I play with kids, they always end up crying, especially little boys. I don't know. Maybe I just get too rough or they're too much of sissies, but I, I knew it. He started screaming. I said, oh, man, I felt so bad just because he's you're not supposed to make a little boy cry. But I think he was overreacting. So immediately they all came running over there pitying him. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Stand up. You're okay. You're okay. What do you want? Go get him some food. Go. They're, yeah, they're going to get him candy so he'd stop crying. And I said, man, this kid's going to have diabetes by the time he's nine. So he's screaming and screaming and wailing. And I'm like, pay for my food. And I'm like, lo siento, amigo, which means like, I'm sorry, buddy. And then got in my truck and drove away. I think I'm done trying to teach him lessons. I'm just going to ignore him. Because I don't, I don't want to play with kids that try to hurt you. It's no fun. Because it makes you want to hurt them back. I haven't gone back and looked yet. But I think it was around this time last year that I had the moth invasion. It may have been a little bit later, but I'm pretty sure it was pretty close to this time of year. I'll need to go back and check. But if you don't remember that episode, the moths overtook my house. It was like a swarm of moths. They were all over the place, all over the ceiling. They would die at night, fall on the countertops, leave moth wing dust everywhere. I avoided my kitchen for three days. So the plague of moths ended, you know, last like two weeks. So there's different plagues of bugs. Well, this year, when I drive down past my old house, I see tons of moths everywhere. And they get all around the mango trees. Well, at my new house, I don't have any mango trees. Well, I have a couple, but they're real little. I guess they're not attractive to the moths because no moth invasion as of yet. I'll feel more confident when I go back and I check the date of last year's show when I reported about the moths. But I've seen them out and about. I've seen them on mango trees near my old house, but I have not seen any at my new house. There are lots of flies right now, though. Just the little harmless flies that are so gross because they can land on anything and then they can land on your food. And they can land on anything, and they can land on your silverware. And chances are what they've already landed on isn't clean. So it grosses me out, but I have a house full of flies right now. The worst time of day is like 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. 
and in the kitchen, of course. And I don't have dirty dishes. Well, every now and then I do, but at least I rinse them off a little bit. It's not just like food particles. I wipe down the countertops. The trash is put away, but there are a lot of flies in that kitchen. Once the sun goes down, they pretty much go away. If you leave a light on in the house, you might get a couple, but it's nowhere near as bad as a moth invasion. So I'll take a handful of flies any day over a truckload of moths. I'm going to update everyone on my pool situation. So the house that I moved into was completely neglected for a few years. The pool looked like a pond. The house had gone to crap. Everything was dirty, nasty. It was gross. So upon moving in, I get the house cleaned up to a decent level. And then I talk to the owner and I'm like, let's get going to the pool. And she tells me there's going to be a six-week lead time on a pump that they have to order. And Ronnie and Ismail kept telling me, the pump's fine, the pump's fine. We can fix the pool. We can fix the pool. So I went back to the homeowner, negotiated a lower rent since there's no pool. And she did that. She knocked the rent down a little bit. And so I told Ronnie, I said, man, you think you can get that pool going? And he said, yeah, I think we can get it going. So he drained all the water out. Him and Ismail spent two days scrubbing out the inside. Now keep in mind, when I talk about Ismail, he does not get paid by me. He gets paid by someone else to work at a different house. But he comes up and he works for free because Ronnie's his homeboy. So they scrubbed the pool out. There was a valve that they needed to replace in the, uh, in the little pool house. And they happened to have one in the garage. And so now we're in the process of filling the pool back up. But the only problem with that is the well that supplies the house with water can't keep up with the pump filling up the pool so we gotta pump the pool for a little bit then we gotta stop and let the well fill back up then fill up the tanks for the house to make sure the house has water then the next day we pump more water into the pool refill the tank in the house and every day the pool comes up about six inches so ronnie and i are estimating that about another week week and a half we'll have a full pool and i'll be able to swim and then i'll go back to the homeowner and tell her that i've gotten her pool fixed and see if she's willing to pay me for getting the pool fixed. Because the last guy quoted like $5,000. He said, oh, you need a new pump. You need all this new stuff. Of course, she doesn't know any better. So she goes, okay. So now they're supposedly waiting on all this stuff to come in. And I think the pool will be fine in about another week, week and a half. So I'll let you know what she says. I'll tell her to name her price. I'll say, you have a pool. It's functioning. Here's a picture. What's it worth? And then I'll give the money to Ronnie and this mail. Well, maybe we'll have a little party. Recently, I got an email from a listener named Nathan. And Nathan kind of told me a situation that he's trying to figure out how to maybe move somewhere cool like Nicaragua. And he had some questions that were pretty good. So I thought I'd address them on air. And these are a lot of questions that I get from a lot of people. So I may have already talked about them before, but I'm going to give another rundown on some of these uh, in case you've never heard it before. One of the biggest things that people want to know is where can they work? If they want to move down here and they want to get a job and be in Nicaragua, in paradise, my answer to that is you can't. Uh, you can't work for another company unless it's a, like a multinational company. Uh, you're here working for them, like on assignment. And if that's the case, you're going to be in Managua, um, which I call Baghdad. It's a terrible place. Nobody would want to live there. Nobody. And the reason that you can't work for companies here uh, number one, it's tough to get a visa. And number two, they don't pay enough. They can't pay enough for a gringo to live a good life compared to what most people are used to in the States. So here, uh, like a lawyer, 
at a law firm, not just a guy working out of his living room, but a, a real law firm, a lawyer might make eight hundred to a thousand dollars a month. Accountants, four hundred, four fifty. So there's no room. There's no room to make money to support yourself and your family as a gringo. But there is opportunity if you wanted to start your own business. Now, if I said you can just come down here and open up a business and make tons of money, that would be a complete lie. It is easy to come down here. It is easy to open a small business. But once you start making real money, the people that you compete with will do everything they can to shut you down. It's not in their personalities to be competitive business people. They tend to not think of creative ways to enhance their own business. So instead what they do is figure out a way to shut down their competition. And you can almost be certain that if you're making good money, you're not the only person in the country who's doing it. So the person before you is more established, they have more connections, and they'll try to find a way to get you shut down. I've seen it several times here. The business climate here is not super easy. There's lots of red tape. There's lots of government officials that are more concerned about proving you wrong when you submit licenses and applications than they are helping you get it right. And so it's extremely frustrating at times. That being said, you can come down here, you can open a restaurant, you can open up a bar, you can open up a small tourism-based business, you can get by. You can do furniture, uh, you could start to dabble in coffee, but if you start making real money, that industry will shut you down. Same thing with tobacco. And the same thing with any other type of agricultural business. The guys that are playing agriculture have been doing it for generations, and you're not going to come in and take away their business. There is a need for some construction down here. The only problem with that, which is something that I looked into heavily because construction was my background. So after doing my research, I figured out that the skills here, or the skill set that the laborers have would not satisfy my need for quality. And so I've decided not to mess with construction because I think I would be banging my head on a wall trying to get things right. Not perfect. They don't have to be perfect. But I have a standard to which I think all construction should be done. And that's based off how I learned to do things. And they, they cannot do that here. They, it's their standard. They have their own standards. They have their own acceptability levels. But those are different than mine. I don't have the patience to coach someone through all this. And so I just decided not to mess with construction. But there would be a little market for that. Uh, building houses for foreigners and managing them. Property management could be a good one too. But like I said, you'll come down, uh, you'll make you know, $2,000, $2,500 a month um, after you put in about a year, year and a half worth of work. So you got to have a cushion. You can easily get by in $2,000 to $3,000 a month. You play your cards right. It's not difficult. About $2,000 a month is what I spend, and there's not much that I long for other than a pool. Nathan also asked me about the climate of the real estate market. And in my opinion, right now, everything is overpriced. Now, occasionally you can dig around and find a fire sale, find someone that's in a bind, and get a good deal. But for the most part, houses here aren't financed. So everyone pays cash for them. And so you might find a house that's been on the market for three years or two years all the time. I, I watch houses. I watch the housing market. And I see it's not uncommon to see a house that sits for sale for two years because people have this price that they want in their head. And that's based on what they paid in like 2007 
right before the market crashed. So the U.S. market crashed in 08, and then Nicaragua fell like about a year behind it, year and a half. And so people still have those old prices in their head, and that's what they want. And to me, it's not worth it. So a house that you buy for 200000 you can get a nice three-bedroom house with plenty of space, a big porch, a pool, overlooking the ocean, maybe not right on the cliff, but back a little bit. But to maintain that house, because you got to have a, a caretaker. you got to have somebody that's always doing something because everything breaks. The climate is harsh. The sun's hard on everything. There's lots of wind. And it's also good to have someone at your house when you're not around, especially if you live outside of town and no one's looking. So you got to have someone to do that. And that's about $300 a month to pay that guy to act as he's like the gardener, the repairman, can do basic plumbing depending on his ability, sometimes some construction. So that's 300 a month. And by the time you have all your other bills and you maintain everything and you take your big repairs of your house and you divide those out over your 12-month year, you spend about 800 to $1,000 a month just maintaining the house. In my case, I'd rather rent something for that $1,000 a month, which includes the caretaker, and not have to worry about anything else, trying to sell it, things breaking stuff going wrong because i think at a thousand dollars a month they break even at best the renter does so if you buy a house you're going to spend a thousand dollars a month just maintaining it and it just doesn't make sense so that also shows me that the housing market's out of line if you can rent a house for what you can maintain it for that tells me that there's a big supply of houses out there and people are desperate to get renters in them but they won't lower their sales price they just hold on to them in hopes that the price will come up So that, in my opinion, is what's going on with the real estate around here. The particular house that I live in just changed hands before I moved into it. And the seller was in a bind. She just wanted to get rid of it. Something happened and she couldn't come back in the country. So she sold it to someone else for $140,000, which was a steal. It's a big two-bedroom house, three bathrooms, a pool, big living area, a big porch. Uh, By Nicaraguan standards... It's nice. By U.S. standards, there's some workmanship problems. It's worth well more than 140000 probably 180, 190. And there's only two houses in this area. So what happened was back in 2006, 2007, you have all these people that call themselves developers. And many of them had no clue what they're doing. So they would just go out and buy a parcel of land and then try to divide it up into lots. But what these people failed to realize is how much money it takes to subdivide a piece of land. So they would buy it out. They would create a little map that showed where the lots were going to be. And then they would fund the necessary infrastructure of the neighborhood by lot sales because they didn't have enough in the bank to do it right. So in this particular neighborhood, there's only two houses that ever got built. The rest of these lots are just empty. And you can't tell what's a lot and what's not. You can't. I mean, there's nothing to define it. The roads aren't paved. They were supposed to have a well that supplied the entire neighborhood. But that well is only supplying my house and it can't even keep up with that. So all that being said, there's a couple different Nicaraguan families that live in the neighborhood, even though they don't own the lots. Well, I assume they didn't buy the lots from the developer. I don't know if the developer doesn't own the land around them or if they sold their lot and just never moved out, and they're still living there. I don't know. But either way, there's a guy below me named Ruben, and Ruben is about 65. Ruben's wife is about 65 also. It's about a mile walk from Ruben's house to the main road. 
It's downhill all the way to town, and it's uphill on the way back. And Ruben's the nicest guy I've ever met. He's always smiling, waving, swinging a machete around. I don't know what he does for work, but he seems to be all right. The other night, I was sitting outside in the hammock, and I hear a guitar playing in the distance. And so I'm like, what in the world? Who's playing the guitar? So I walk outside and look. Here goes Ruben walking down the road playing his guitar. And so the road past my house is the opposite direction of town. So he was walking uphill. Hey, Ruben, where are you going with your guitar? He said, oh, I'm going to go sit up on top of the mountain and play for a while. It was about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. You want a flashlight? He said, nope, it's a full moon. I looked up, and sure enough, it was a full moon. Ruben was headed up the hill playing his guitar. I'm going to try to go over to his house and record him playing. I didn't really get a chance to hear exactly what it was. I'm sure it was some traditional Nicaraguan folk music. I will keep you posted on that. I think that's going to wrap up today's episode. I hope you listened to the bonus podcast about politics. If you did, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you even if you didn't. I'm going on a year now. Episode 37. Ideally, it would be episode 52. That would mean one a week. But I'm pretty far from that. But if you'd like to advertise any company on my podcast contact me. I will do it for free. I just need to say that I have a sponsor. Well, as long as I agree with the product, I get the last say, but if you have something that's decent, I will advertise it for free. Thanks again for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Check out our website, nikasaleandsurf.com or send me an email, nikasaleandsurf at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo.